Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone here had a fantastic Valentine's Day this week. More specifically to the men, I hope you remembered it was Valentine's Day this week. I actually remember the first Valentine's Day that I had with my wife, Kristen. We'd been dating for probably about six months at the time. Um, and the way the schedules worked out, we were celebrating Valentine's Day a, a few days early, so we did the nice dinner, the whole thing. Um, but me being the smart boyfriend, thought I'd check, well, what are we going to do on Valentine's Day? So I asked her, I said, hey, Chris, are we, we going to do anything extra, or should I be planning something on top for the actual day? She said, no, no, we don't, don't need to do anything extra. Said, Perfect. That's easy. So Valentine's Day comes, and she comes over, and we're just going to hang out, watch some TV, and... As she comes in the door, I see she has a card and my favorite candy. And I've got goose egg, nothing, squat. Oh, but we weren't doing anything. We, 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 said, we said nothing. Oh, not doing anything. But, oh, of course, yeah, we should probably still get a card and candy and flowers. Oh, shoot. Male ignorance. So the next morning, I rush out to the store the day after Valentine's Day. I got to recover from this. And hey, you know what? Benefit would have it. If you go get Valentine's Day stuff the day after Valentine's Day, it's on clearance. Oh, double the candy, half the cost. So I picked up all of her favorite candy. Right, We hung out the next day, I gave it to her, and she graciously appreciated uh, the gesture. Kristen and I, we've been married three and a half years now. We have a 16-month-old daughter, another kid on the way. And I can guarantee you, I've had to seek her forgiveness for things far worse than forgetting some candy, forgetting Valentine's Day. And she too has had to seek my forgiveness. Forgiveness is an essential part of our marriage. It's an area in our marriage in which we've been stretched and grown. The longer we're married, we continue to find things that we have to learn how to forgive. It's difficult to forgive. And we have to wrestle with things that, if we're being honest, don't really want to forgive. Maybe some of you here are in a similar situation with your spouse. We're dealing with things that you don't want to forgive. Maybe it's a son or daughter who shows you zero respect and zero obedience. Or it could be a boss or coworker who takes credit for your successes and then blames you for their failures. Or maybe it's a close friend who recently and unexpectedly betrayed your trust. We all have people in our lives that need our forgiveness, that deserve our forgiveness. Now, if you haven't peeked in the program yet, spoiler alert, we're talking about forgiveness. We're kicking off a new series here at Horizon called The How of Wow Living. So in this series, we're going to learn about some of Jesus' practical teachings on living an abundant, God-centered life. And to kick off this week, we're talking about how to have a forgiving heart. How to have a forgiving heart. And in the text that we'll look at today, you'll see that Jesus has a, a few words to share for those that are doing the offending that, that require the forgiveness. But he spends most of his time and most of his focus on the forgiver, on us. We tend, I think, as people to be so externally focused, always thinking about, hey, what are they doing? What, what, what do they need to be doing different? Let's talk about them. But today, Jesus wants to focus internally, talk about us. If I had to summarize one key thing for you to walk away with, and I hope you walk away right, with more than one thing, but if it was going to be one thing, it would be this. Faith fuels forgiveness. Faith fuels forgiveness. Said differently, because we have faith in God, we have been forgiven, even though we have wronged God. Thus, we too should forgive other people, even though they've wronged us. Said simply, God forgave us, 
So we should forgive others. And this shouldn't be done out of obligation, but out of reciprocation. Not out of requirement because we have to or because we've been told to, but because we want to. Because it naturally and willingly overflows from us. The forgiveness that God has lavished upon us overflows to the people around us. Faith fuels forgiveness. Now, to come to terms with that, we're going to have to wrestle with some things. We're going to have to overcome three hurdles that Jesus shows us in the text today. And those are the hurdles of justice, the hurdle of ability, and the hurdle of recognition. But before we talk those, let's jump into the context here of the text a little bit. So Jesus is talking to a crowd. And it's actually the same crowd that we've been hearing about uh, the last few weeks and last couple months here at Horizon. So it's a crowd of people um, with a mixture of the Sadducees and Pharisees as well. And Jesus is talking about those Sadducees and Pharisees, but also talking about what it means to be a follower of God. Let's take a look. Chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Then he said to the disciples... It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him from whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. I love how right out of the gate, Jesus says, offenses will come. You are going to screw up. Right? He's, he's looking at the crowd saying, I am God, so I know these things. And let's be honest, even if I wasn't God, I could still know these things. Look at you guys. Ugh. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, and we think, you know what, I, I don't think I'm perfect. You're right. I'm probably going to screw up. Jesus lays out a warning for us. Woe to him who messes up. Woe to him who does the offending, who hurts others, who lies, who cheats, who's prideful, who's selfish, who's unloving. We do not want to be the ones doing the offending. And especially not, as the verse says, to, to little ones. Which either could mean those physically young in age, or it could be those spiritually young in age. But regardless, we do not want to be the source of someone else's struggle, the source of someone else's offense. Because it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. A key thing to notice here in the text is that the millstone isn't the punishment. It actually is preferable. It's preferable. It's preferable to the woe that is represented. Jesus is saying it would be better to die a physical death than to face a spiritual one. Now, for those of you that may not know what a millstone is, it's, a, it's a, usually a stone wheel used to grind up grain. So you may have seen it in the movies, right? Maybe attached to a donkey or something. The donkey walks in a circle and the stone rolls across, you know, the wheat or whatever grain it is to make the flour. That kind of stone could weigh, you know, 100 pounds or so. But there's also millstones and windmills. Giant stones that can weigh up to 3,000 pounds. 3,000 pounds hanging, oh, from your neck. It's like 20 of me grabbing on real tight and hanging on there. Oh, don't do the math. I, I don't weigh that much. If I think about it, you know what? I know someone that deserves a millstone. Actually, I know quite a few people that deserve a millstone. Oh, I'm going to give them some millstones. Oh, let's crowd them all up. Oh, look at hundreds of people that deserve millstones in my life. This is awesome. What does the Bible say? Who gets it first? It is me. Wait, no, no, but, but these people deserved it. They've offended me. Why, why do I get the first millstone? Well, to answer that, we got to go back to verse 1. Offenses will come. And the reality is that at some point, 
we will all do the offending. Meaning, we all deserve millstones. And that brings us to our first hurdle, the hurdle of justice. We desire to enact our own justice. We we don't want to forgive people. Now you could argue that justice is my God-given right. right? We deserve to hand out millstones. They do something wrong, they get one. And that is true if you adhere to what I call the way of the millstone. If your belief system is that of pure justice. Every, every wrong gets justice. You wronged me, millstone. You wronged me, millstone. Everybody gets a millstone. Millstones for everyone. It's like the worst episode of Oprah ever. <laughs> or we can adhere to a different worldview. The way of the cross. The idea that through faith and submission to God, our wrongdoings, our offenses, they can be forgiven. And our millstones can be removed from our neck and hung on Jesus' neck instead. But that belief, that brings us back full circle to the fact that the right to enact my own justice, that's a lie. Because if I believe in the way of the cross and that because of that my millstone has been removed, that belief must also apply to them, to the other people in my life. Since God has removed the millstone from my neck, it does not matter if there's a millstone around theirs. The next time that boss takes credit for your idea, or that son or daughter who blames you for the struggles in your life, and all you've done is try to love them and take care of them. The next time that happens, don't focus on justice, on balance, on making it correct versus wrong. No. Pursue forgiveness. Echo the forgiveness that you have been given from God. Jesus goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. If I had to guess, look at that passage, the first thing that jumps out to you is, Oh, I get to rebuke people. Oh, this is going to be fun. Unfortunately, it's probably not the way you're wanting it. It's not a loud, you know, public declaration. Steve, you have offended me. Steve, do you repent? No. Sorry for Steve sitting over there. It's not personal. (laughs) No. No, in the book of John, it actually says that we should pull them aside one-on-one, speak truth into them, point out what they did wrong, but lovingly, in a private place, and to forgive them. The second thing you may be noticing is what I'd call a potential out. Well, it says, you know, if he repents. So, I mean, if they don't repent, they don't have to forgive. Or, you know, maybe they repent, but it wasn't genuine. I I, I could tell. Well, to that, I had two comments. The first is that in the text, God lists no criteria. And it must be at least 10 seconds long. There must be groveling involved. No. God simply tells us to forgive. And actually, elsewhere in the Bible, it tells you to forgive even if they don't repent. And the Bible tells us how to handle that situation. But we won't talk that even today. But what's clear is the Bible says you should forgive. And forgive everything. And forgive everyone. And second, if you really want to follow the rule, that, oh, it has to be genuine, it has to be spoken, they have to admit and repent it for me to forgive it, I would ask this question. Have you ever repented something to God or sought forgiveness to God? not really meant it. 
Or maybe there's something that you did that you've never sought forgiveness from God on. Do you want God to forgive you for that? Or do you want to keep that millstone? I know I want him to forgive me. I know you do the same. And if that's what we want from God, we have to operate in the same way with the people in our lives. The key thing I want you to see here in in these two verses is really the first four words in verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. Jesus just talked about millstones and how there's the offenders and it's horrible and it's getting the crowd pumped up. Kind of like us. Oh, I can think of someone. I know someone that deserves that. And right when we think he's about to drop the hammer, he pivots and says, take heed to yourself and forgive. Take heed in the original language means to turn the mind to or be attentive to. So what Jesus is telling us is that we need to be attentive to ourselves. Not be attentive to, to the wrongdoer. Right? The crowd, and just like us, are probably thinking, hey, but, but the wrongdoer did a lot of bad stuff. Let's go back and talk about those wrongdoers some more. They really screwed up. But Jesus is saying, no. No, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about you. We're here to talk about me. Jesus is addressing the spirit of unforgiveness that lies in their hearts, that lies in our hearts. The spirit of unforgiveness is really a spirit of bitterness. A quote I love is that bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It festers within us. It leads us to do things out of character, things that are not true to who we are. I remember a time, uh, Kristen and I, my wife Kristen and I, were having what I would call a discussion. She would call it a fight. Um, So we had a disagreement on something. And for whatever reason, it couldn't be resolved. She had, she had some appointment or something she had to be at maybe for work. Uh, and so she left. And we had this unresolved just issue. And it was just festering inside of me. I just I, did, I had no desire to forgive it, no desire to let it go. And it welled up. And I remember later on, I was sitting in front of the computer. I was on Amazon shopping for something. And I came across our Save for Later list. So for those of you that haven't used Amazon or the, the two of you that haven't used Amazon, um, there's the shopping cart and there's the save for later list. It's like a wish list of sorts. And so I'm there and I see it. I go, oh, what is all this? We can't afford this. She has like 10 pairs of shoes. She doesn't need those shoes. Delete. <laughs> What's that? Oh, more clothes? No, delete. Oh, bath salts? Delete. Babies? Delete, delete. Oh, I did want to read that book. Save that for later. Delete, 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 delete. I think I deleted 80% of the list. And I remember Kristen comes home later. And we quickly resolved our discussion. It was simply a misunderstanding. Within 10 seconds, we had come to terms on that. But then I realized, oh, I have to confess this. And I remember I confessed this to her, and it was so out of character for me. It was such a, such a deliberate, malicious, spiteful act. I mean, talk about deserving a millstone. It was so out of character that her jaw literally dropped. You did what? I said, I know, I'm really sorry. She forgave me, thank goodness. But, but it corrupted me. The unforgiveness, the bitterness led me to do horrible things. Things that are not true of, of my character and of who I am. We must learn to reconcile and forgive. We must learn to remove and release the bitterness that takes hold of our hearts. The bitterness that can lead to hurtful and malicious acts. I love the picture that Jesus paints in verse 4. Because he's not just talking about forgiving someone who messes up once or twice. 
He tells us to forgive the same person seven times for the same thing in one day. Oh, who is this person? They need to get their act together. I mean, what idiot is this? I mean, come on. This is just elementary. Well, I'll tell you who it is. It's your spouse. It's your kids. It's your coworker. It's you. It's me. It's the people that we live daily life with. I mean, who else has the opportunity to do the same thing wrong seven times in one day? We must continuously forgive the people around us the same way God continuously forgives us. But hey, once he hits seven, right? It says seven, then we're good until tomorrow, right? Well, no, not quite. It's actually brought up in another part of the Bible. The disciple Peter, um, the, what I call the clever disciple, or the disciple that tries to be clever and usually gets embarrassed, brings this up again in Matthew 18. He says, Then Peter came to him, being Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Because I know it's seven, because we talked about it before, but I'm going to act smart. I'm going to say, seven? Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. The disciples, they're no different than us. They're thinking there must be a cap. There must be, must be a, a, a total number of forgiveness. And the historical context here is the fact that the Pharisees would say three. They'd say up to three times. But what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. It's not about three. He blows it out of the water. 70 times 7. And he actually does it. He blows it out of the water using a powerful Old Testament reference. And the Jews of the day would have noticed this. So 70 times 7, a number like that is only referenced one other time in the Old Testament. And it's back in Genesis. It's a story of a man named Lamech. And Lamech was a vicious man. And someone offended him. And his version of justice, instead of forgiveness, was to actually murder the individual. He then went on to brag about that act. He said, hey, if someone offends Lamech, I will not get justice once, but I will get justice 70 and 7 times. The disciples would have known this story. So what Jesus is saying to them, and what he's saying to us, is that if as much as Lamech was evil, we must be good in our forgiveness. Or better yet, if every one of Lamech's evil acts was committed against you, you should forgive every single one of them. Saying 70 times 7, Jesus is telling us there is no cap. We must continuously forgive. But this brings us to a difficult point. A difficult question, and that's the point that's probably on your mind right now. It's on my mind. And that is, how in the world can I move on from someone who's hurting me over and over? How can I continuously forgive someone who is that horrible or mean or malicious? Well, don't worry. You're not the only one who asked that, because the disciples did too. Verse 5, and the apostles said to the Lord, Oh, increase our faith! How in the world, Jesus, can we do this? You expect that much forgiveness? Oh, you you have to give us more faith, because there's just no way that we can do that. Have you ever caught yourself saying, Oh, I don't don't think I can forgive them. Or maybe, Oh, I'll I'll never be able to let that go. That's going to stick with me forever. Yeah, we've all thought that. We've all said that. But the crazy thing is that through God's Holy Spirit, which has been given to us through our faith in God, we already have the power that we need. And Jesus shows us that in verse 6. So the Lord said 
if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus is looking at them saying, don't talk to me about more faith. This isn't about more faith. If you had the tiniest, inkliness drop of faith, you can make quick work. I love the imagery here that Jesus uses. It's very intentional. The mustard seed. The mustard seed would have been the tiniest seed known to the Jewish people at the time. We have since learned of smaller seeds, but to them, that was the smallest thing imaginable. And then the mulberry tree. At the time, the the legend or the, the, the mythology around it was that its roots were so deep that if you cut it off at the ground, the roots would continue to live for hundreds of years. I mean, ripping out a mulberry tree, that that is a difficult task, almost impossible task for anybody. And Jesus is saying, oh, you can make quick work of that with just your words, with the tiniest drop of faith. Now, Jesus is not saying that our faith is untrue or insignificant because bushes aren't being ripped out of the ground left and right. I actually remember when I was a kid, the first time I heard uh, this passage, I said, oh, I have that faith. And I went home, bush. It did not move, to say the least. And that's not because my faith was untrue, but rather it was not in God's will that my mother's rosebush should be uprooted. And I doubt it was in her will either. No, no. The power of faith is not your quantity or your effort or your focus. No, the power of your faith stems from the object of your faith. Because of our faith in God, we have access to God's power through his Holy Spirit. The power to uproot the unuprootable. The power to tear out the seeds of bitterness that have dived deep into my heart. We have to remember that when I say I can't, I am also saying God can't. Because God lives in me. The next time you think, well, I, I can't forgive that, or I can, I can never reconcile with them, remember those words. When I say I can't, I'm also saying God can't. Or better yet, don't remember my words. Remember Jesus' words. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. God has equipped us with the necessary skills to complete the mission that he has set out before us. And that includes forgiving the people around us. Faith fuels forgiveness. Now, it would be very easy for Jesus to end his message here. His point has been made. However, he takes it one step further. He addresses one final hurdle. The hurdle of recognition. We expect a reward for our forgiveness. Jesus knows that his followers, that us as his followers today, are going to be tempted to seek recognition for the hard work of forgiving hard people. He's saying, no. No, you didn't accomplish anything extra. There's no bonus. Forgiving is what you're supposed to do. Forgiving is what we're expected to do. It's what we've been commanded to do. He says so in verses 7 through 10 with a short story. In which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he's coming from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. 
unprofitable servants. What's that mean? Well, what it's saying is that the, the master has already accounted for all the profit that we're going to execute. The servants, right, did what they were supposed to do. The servants did their job description. And because of that, nothing extra was earned. No extra profit. Unprofitable servants. Maybe the best way to, to break this down is maybe bring the image into the modern day. So I work at Procter & Gamble in our demand planning division. So I work on forecasting. I have a team of people that every week we adjust the forecast based on the latest business intelligence. And then we submit it every Friday night to some systems and people use it the next week. What would it be like if I stepped into my boss's office on a Friday and said something like, Hey, we submitted the forecast. Oh, you know, no problems. You know, just forecast is submitted. Did my job. So, uh, bonus? Recognition? No, maybe let the director know that I did it. Wouldn't that be great? No. No, that's weird. Nobody would do that. I just did my my base job description, the, the core bottom line of what I'm supposed to do. Nothing extra. Nothing on top. We treat forgiveness as this hard work that should be rewarded. As if we did something extra, we went above and beyond, it was something special. And then we get discouraged. We get discouraged because we're not recognized by our spouse, by our friends, by God, whomever it might be. Only when I stop trying to recognize what I am doing and start recognizing what God has already done will I overcome the hurdle of recognition. When we realize it's not about us. True, we forgave someone. It was difficult. But how much more has God forgiven you? Yes, your act of forgiveness is great. It's God-honoring. But the focus isn't that you forgave someone. Your forgiveness mirrors the greater forgiveness. When someone sees our forgiveness, they see a glimpse of Jesus' forgiveness for us. That's the focus. Our reward has already been given to us. The forgiveness we extend others is in response to our reward, not the other way. There's no extra prize. Forgiveness is part of the job description. And if our faith is true, then we have been forgiven. And if our fellow Christians' faith is true, they've been forgiven. So why are we heaping millstones on each other's necks? Let's reconcile. Let's remove the bitterness that exists between us and forgive. Verse 3, take heed to yourself. Focus on yourself. God will take care of the offenders. If any justice needs to be enacted, it will. The Bible actually guarantees it. But it won't be by you. It'll be by God. And it'll be done on God's timing. It is our job to live out the forgiveness that Jesus modeled for us. Our example, our role model, Jesus hung on a cross for you, for me, for this church. And as he hung there, suffering, gasping for air, he looks out and he sees a crowd of people that deserve millstones. And he chooses to take those millstones upon himself. And he looks up at heaven and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In his moment of death, he cries out forgiveness for the people crucifying him. He cries out forgiveness for us. This is, this is the, the, the man, this is the God that died for you, that forgave you, that forgave me. And he has given us the power 
and the support and all the skills we need to overflow this forgiveness to the people we walk this world with. Do not be tripped up by the hurdles. Do not seek your own justice. Do not say that you are unable to forgive. And do not expect recognition or some kind of reward. Because these hurdles, they trip us up. They knock us off the path of what God has laid out for us. The great things that God has in store for us. It'd be very easy for me to tell you to walk out of here and forgive because that's what you're told to. That's what we're commanded to. It's the rules. It's true. It's a true statement. But I truly believe what I said at the beginning. Faith fuels forgiveness. Faith fuels forgiveness. Because of our faith, God lavishes us with forgiveness. And we should soak this in We should be so overwhelmed and overfilled with this forgiveness that it naturally overflows to the people around us. It is our duty to forgive. It it is part of the job description, but we don't do it because we have to. We do it because we want to. We do not forgive out of obligation, but out of reciprocation. Reciprocation for the loving forgiveness that Jesus showed us when he hung and died upon that cross. Let's pray. God, thank you for your death upon that cross. The forgiveness that you have poured out upon us, that you have lavished us with. God, I just pray that we would soak that in. We would dwell on that. We would understand that. And because of that, your forgiveness would overflow from us as we forgive the people around us. The people we walk this world with the hard people to forgive. That you would give us the strength and the power through your Holy Spirit to do very that this week, this month, maybe even today. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, if you're new here at Horizon and you want to take a next step um, or even just make a new friend, uh, we'd love to meet you at the hearth room, third room on the left out the doors. If you came prepared to give, are there are boxes in the church foyer. Otherwise... Hope to see you next week. Thanks.